Well, thank you for joining me here. And I have a um, burden on my heart today to deal with an issue um, mostly with people that are, are in ministry of some kind, but it can be just in serving. It can be in any area of your life where you're serving the Lord and doing for him what you feel he's called you to do. And so the, 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 if I give it a title, it would be something like this. It says, Seeking Attention Spoils the Work. And I want to talk primarily, first of all, about two different kings. Um, one was the king of Judah. The other was king of the Assyrian country. Uh, primarily Babylonia was the capital of that city. So let's look at it. The first king I'm going to look at is from Second Kings. And his story is chapter 18 right through to chapter 20, and so finishing at the end of that chapter. So it's, uh, it's a, good, a good story of King Hezekiah. Now, King Hezekiah was a good king. After a few bad ones, and Israel had already been split, ten, ten nations went up north and, and um, separated themselves from Judah and Benjamin. And so King Hezekiah was king of Judah. And it says in um, 2 Kings 18.5 that Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. Now listen, there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. Now we're not talking about all of Israel because David would have probably been in that category. But Hezekiah was the best that Judah had. And that's exciting to think that God had raised up a man that loved him enough and he was cleansing the land. If you, are, if you need to read those chapters again just to refresh yourself, I would encourage you to do that, chapters 18 right through the end of 20. But he really went at it and cleansed the land, tore down idols, cleansed the temple of all defilement and did an awful lot to turn, to try to turn the nation around for the Lord. Now, it wasn't really very successful because a king can't change the hearts of the people back to righteousness. When an evil king comes in, there's a number of times it talks about evil kings influence the people of Israel to do evil. But when it comes to influencing them to return to righteousness, that doesn't always happen. Nevertheless, he was a good king. And um, we're going to look at something that happened, though, that um, he, he became quite ill at some point, but then the Lord healed him from that. Isaiah, the prophet, had brought a word for him. It was um, encouraging to, to read that story because... He, he regained a confidence. The trouble is, his arch enemy, the Babylonian Empire, Assyria, um, they sent some of the envoys, some of their wealthy people to see him. Even though these were arch enemies of Israel for many years in Judah, it says in 2 Kings 18, pardon me, 2 Kings 20, 
Hezekiah received the envoys, these, these high-profile people from, from Babylon. Hezekiah took them, and he showed them all that was his in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, the fine olive oil, his armory and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all the kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. We have a problem here. This is not Hezekiah's kingdom. This is not Hezekiah's storehouse. This is not Hezekiah's um, gold and silver and spices. It's not his armory. It belongs to the kingdom of God, to, to Judah. And yet Hezekiah was showing it to all these, let me call them enemies, because that, in a way, what they are. He was showing it to them as his. And the Holy Spirit records it, exactly what he was doing. He was showing it's this is what I have done. This is what I have accomplished. Look at me. Pat me in the back. Tell your friends about me. This is what I've accomplished. Now God responded to that. Second Kings 20, going to verse 16 for three verses here. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. The time you surely will come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day, it even affects what the people before him had done, will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And, and some of your descendants... It not only affected the past, but now it's going to affect Hezekiah's family. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now, what Hezekiah did was to be, take glory for what God was doing and attributed to himself. And this is a common problem. As a matter of fact, some of the teachers, the mature men that I've listened to over the years, I've heard them say, this is one of the most common problems in the body of Christ, where leaders, people in ministry, even people serving in a Sunday school capacity or whatever, they desperately want everybody to see what they're doing because they want the praise of man. The Bible says we're to look after ourselves, behave ourselves, so we qualify to get the praise of God. But they were looking for the praise of man. And I can tell you this. I've been there, and I know it's very shallow and very temporary. It doesn't last Please understand that. The glory and the praise I will get from my Father for attributing everything to him will last eternally. But the praise I get from man is washed away with the next rain and blown away by the next wind. It is no good. 
Now, the interesting thing is, Hezekiah's son took over as king of Judah after Hezekiah was done. And he, in, in contrast to his father, was a wicked king. He ruled for a long time, over 50 years, 54 I believe it was, but he was a wicked king. Even though there was a point where he repented, but he was still a wicked king and he didn't certainly do too much to deal with the issue of sin and, uh, that his father committed. And it also mentions his own sin where he murdered a lot of people. It said he filled Jerusalem with the blood of innocent people. It says of King Hezekiah, his name is Manasseh. King Manasseh in 2 Kings 21, God's judgment started to come upon Judah because of what Hezekiah had done and because of what Manasseh had been doing. Nevertheless, it says in verse 26, the Lord did, in chapter 23, verse 26, pardon me, the Lord did not turn away from the heat of his fierce anger which burned against Judah because of all that Manasseh had done to rouse his anger. Now, you might be asking me, what Manasseh did, how does that connect to Hezekiah? I'm going to tell you in a few minutes what I believe it is. 2 Kings 24, surely these things happened to Judah and he was talking about the downfall of Judah and how the Babylonian Empire was overrunning it. It happened to Judah according to the Lord's command in order to remove them from his presence because of the sins of Manasseh and all he had done, including the shedding of innocent blood, for it filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord was not willing to forgive. This is what I believe. I'm not saying I got this out of Scripture. I didn't. I'm just telling you what I believe. King Hezekiah was so intent on building his kingdom, so intent on impressing people and, and bringing the whole Judean country, kingdom, into a place where people would say, what a great king he was, and pat him on the back and so on. And because of a lack of repentance, both Manasseh and King Hezekiah, his father, there was a lack of repentance, so the Lord was not willing to forgive. I believe that Hezekiah was so intent and so driven to build his kingdom he ignored his family. Way back in chapter 20, when the Lord was talking to um, through Isaiah the prophet, he said that, that his descendants who were not born to him, that means he must have been quite early in a kingship, quite early in his life. He didn't even have children born yet. And so years later, he had children, but the one that took over the kingship from Hezekiah at death was Manasseh. And he was probably without 
the Bible actually saying this, but I believe I can say it honestly. He was probably one of the worst kings that Judah ever had. What happened to this father and son? I'm, I'm believing, I guess anyway, that Hezekiah was so busy with his kingdom, he didn't have time to look after his family. The second king that I wanted to draw attention to is King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar, the children of Israel are now in captivity. This is many years later after Hezekiah. They're in captivity and the king of the Babylonian empire was Nebuchadnezzar and he had a dream one night and he couldn't interpret. He saw this huge tree. The birds of the air were there, the fruit of the tree, the animals were under it. And it represented, according to the interpretation given by Daniel, that this was Nebuchadnezzar's reign over all the known world at that time that um, the Babylonian Empire controlled. And you see, Daniel said to him when he interpreted the dream, he said, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of man and he gives them to anyone he wishes. In other words, Daniel's saying, what this dream is speaking about, we could stop the disaster of this thing happening if you will start to acknowledge that all the work that you have done in building this Babylonian empire, you need to give glory to God because he's the one that allowed you to do it. One year later, in that same chapter, Nebuchadnezzar was standing up looking out over the city and this is what it says in Daniel 4, starting at verse 29. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. This guy totally forgot Daniel's warnings. And Daniel was a high government official, even though he's Jewish, one of the um, exiles from, from, from Judah. And he was highly respected by the King Nebuchadnezzar and his, his court. And yet he totally ignored the warning of the dream and the interpretation. He was so busy building his kingdom he even ignored his family, it looks as if. Because this is what God said, and Daniel was talking to him about this. Daniel chapter 4, verse 31, I'm starting at. Please note, there's pride involved here in everything with Nebuchadnezzar, and Hezekiah. 
there's pride. And with Nebuchadnezzar, he recognizes and actually declares it at the end of the chapter. Daniel 4, 31, even as the words are on his lips, remember he just said, by my mighty power and the glory of my majesty, and while the words are on his lips, this is what the Lord said. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass for you. That's seven years will pass for you until you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all nations on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what it said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. The thing that Daniel prophesied a year before was now fulfilled, and yes, he went for seven years out in the wild, living on grass like an animal until the Lord had dealt with them. And around the tree in the vision, when it was cut down, which is his, Nebuchadnezzar being cut off from his royal authority, there was, there was a bronze, an iron band around the, root, the stump of that tree. And you see, that represents around his mind. Nebuchadnezzar, that pride had so convinced him he was great and that nothing could ever stop him. That was mental torment, mental illness, you might say. I've heard so many people that are suffering from mental say, oh, I feel like there's just something around my head. The root of it was pride in his case. Your authority has been taken from you. Pastor, leader, Sunday school teacher, youth leader, whoever you are. If you take credit for what you've done, the Lord can say, I'll take away your anointing from you at any time, any authority. Now, after the seven years, listen, I love this. Daniel 5, um, this is where um, he praises the Lord and he says, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. That's what Nebuchadnezzar declared after all this was done. Now his son, Belshazzar, didn't learn from what his father went through. And his son, Belshazzar, after Nebuchadnezzar died, he was, he was an evil man, and, and um, he was doing things. If you want to read it in Daniel chapter 5, it's all in there. But there was a writing on the wall, and they called Daniel in to interpret the writing on the wall. And he says, you're found short by the Lord. Your days are numbered. And that night, the maid, Darius the maid, come in from the Median Persian, um, or the made Persian, pardon me, the made empire, and not only killed Belshazzar, but overtook the kingdom, and it was the end of the Babylonian rule in the world that they knew it. What did Daniel say to him? You, Belshazzar, Daniel chapter 5, you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Your dad 
you saw what he went through. You saw the seven years, perhaps, or you, you heard the stories of the seven years of him living like an animal, and yet all through that time you didn't learn from it as a result of your arrogance and not giving glory to God like your dad did at the very end of his trial, I'm stripping you of the kingdom. Again, the son, which probably was ignored as he grew up because King Hezekiah or King Nebuchadnezzar is building his own kingdom. Again, the sun turned bad. So let's leave those guys for now. You need to read in order to get a full understanding of what I'm talking about. Just read the story from 2 Kings 20 on and Daniel chapter 4 and 5. I want to look at some other guys. A couple of guys, Matthew and John, they were disciples. They were apostles that Jesus had appointed. And when they wrote the two books of Matthew and then of John, there's something in those two books that's very interesting. They don't refer to themselves as I or me or look what I've done or what Jesus did for me. They were totally and completely cautious to give all glory to Jesus, not taking anything. What does Matthew, when, when he says that, that he was appointed to be a disciple, he just says a man named Levi. He didn't say I was appointed. He said he doesn't want to use the word I by the looks of things. He wanted to give glory to Jesus. And John is even more extreme. He says, instead of using his name or I and me, he simply says, the apostle that Jesus loved, or the one that laid his head on his breast. Do you understand? What about Jesus' ministry? Next time you read the Gospels, take note of that. Why were they so scared to, to be prominent? And because they didn't want to take anything from Jesus. And then Jesus' ministry. Why is it so many times somebody's healed, somebody's delivered, a dead is raised? Why did Jesus so many times then say to his disciples, don't tell anybody, and to the people he healed, don't tell anybody? because he didn't want to take away glory from the Father. And you see, Jesus, because he hadn't risen from the dead yet, was not to be glorified until he was risen from the dead. We can learn from Jesus. How many here have ever said, how many listening have said, I just want to be like Jesus? Okay, I'm giving you some clues. Oh, you can start being like Jesus. Listen to, I like this one. I, there's, hey, there's been times in my life when I would have failed this one. Listen, John 6, 15. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Oh, man, listen, I confess, if that had been me sometime in my life before this, I would have said, well, it's about time. Somebody appreciated what I'm doing. It's about time somebody made me famous or somebody drew attention to what I'm doing. No, Jesus, he, they were going to make him king, and he hit on them. 
And then there's Matthew 18, 3. And, and Jesus said to them, I tell you, unless you become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. When I was preparing this, I said to myself, I am quite sure I don't have the depth of understanding of what it means to be a little child before God in ministry. What right do I have to teach this message? What does it mean to become like a, a little child when you're an important person minister, a head of big church, or head of a ministry, or a successful teacher? What does it mean to be like a little child? Not childish, but a little child. I'm not even sure if I know. I wish I did. I wish I could unfold this great, huge revelation of how I can walk as a little child. But I'll tell you one thing. We can say to the Lord, Lord, I want to walk through the ministry you've given me like a little child. And he will guide you day by day if we pray that on a regular basis. Every time some pride shows up, every time some desire for attention shows up, I say to the Lord, Lord, I want to walk through this like a little child. I don't know what else to tell you. John 10, 10, the thief comes only to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. I realize this. There's a door that is Jesus, but there's other ways of getting in. If you are in ministry of any kind for a reason other than glorifying Jesus, you're a thief and a robber. Why do I say that? Because... The glory of your success in your ministry belongs to the Lord Jesus. It doesn't belong to you. But if you take it for yourself, you've stolen from him. I love what Catherine Kuhlman says, that lady that was back in the 60s and 70s with a miracle ministries. When people, she was very successful, and when people would ask her, is, are you an apostle? Or are you a prophet? Like, what, what are you? She would simply answer and say, I'm just the bucket God carries his water in. Or you see, the water is representative of the Holy Spirit. And all I am and all you are really before God is this bucket that he carries his Holy Spirit in to take you around to bless people. John 7, 18 says, He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself, but he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. I am crying out to you. I am imploring you to say to the Lord in your prayer times, Lord, I want to honor you. Pray this through. Start to be a man of, and woman of prayer before you enter into ministry that you say, Lord, before I even open my mouth or allow my hands to do anything, I want to make sure I'm doing it to honor you. Make it a purpose that you are going to defeat the pride in your life that calls for attention. You are going to say to the Lord, each day, my flesh fights against what I'm saying, but I am declaring to you, I want you, Lord God, to be glorified 
in everything I do. You set your heart to walk in humility before the Lord. Jesus said in John 14, or in Luke 14, pardon me, verse 11, and these were people that are coming to the wedding feast, the story he was telling, and they were checking and finding the best seats where they'd get the most attention. And Jesus used this as to say, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Think of it. Our job is to be humbled. Lord, I don't want to be noticed. I want to be like John, the apostle, who doesn't even use my name. I want to, I want to just be a nobody because, Lord, I want to give you all the glory. Again in Luke 18, this is the Pharisee and the tax collector praying. And again, God says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I shall never boast except the cross, Paul said. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that your hand would be upon us in the name of Jesus. visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.